All right, continuing on with our week-long spring early season musky fishing celebration here on Backlash Podcast. Our guest today is going to be Greg Thomas with Battle of the Beast Guide Service. You might also recognize the name from Musky Hunter Magazine. Greg is co-owner of Musky Hunter Magazine. Greg also has his own podcast, so if you want, you can check that out. Unless you've been living under a rock, Greg Thomas is a household name. He's probably one of the biggest names in musky fishing. And so we're going to get Greg on today, and we're going to talk a little bit about southern musky fishing. And we're going to try to talk pre-spawn, which us in the Midwest don't really deal with too often. Maybe this year we might be dealing with some of it based on the way things are going. And then we're going to talk post-spawn muskies, casting, trolling, water temperatures, weed growth, bait sizes. Greg is going to kind of cover a little of everything. So that's kind of what's up this week. My co-host again is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And Brad, so far we've had, we went to Minnesota. We talked to Captain Philip Barley. We did a little bit in northern Wisconsin with Ty Sennett. And now today we're going to cover, we'll talk the southern half of the Muskie Range with Greg Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had some phenomenal anglers on the podcast. We're at day three it's getting exciting. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of good knowledge that we're hopefully providing the listener. That's the bottom line. Since we've been cruising through this week, talking spring musky fishing, we don't need to make this intro too long. If you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. And you can also check out, and I surely hope that you you check out muskymayhemtackle.com for all your custom bucktail needs. If you want it, Musky Mayhem has it as far as bucktails are concerned. And with that being said, I think we just go jump right into our conversation this week with Greg Thomas, Battle of the Beast Guide Service. All right, our guest tonight is Greg Thomas, Battle of the Beast Guide Service. We've never had Greg on the podcast yet. So, Greg, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy because you're actually fishing, unlike Brad and I who are just hanging out recording podcasts. Why don't you uh, go through kind of your whole program. I mean, you got a lot, you got, I mean, I know Brad and I work a lot and I know you probably work even more. So why don't you kind of talk about all the different hats that you're wearing? Oh, I wear a lot of different hats. I'm a, I love hats. Right now, I, uh, well, thanks for having me on here. First and foremost, I'm glad Brad is podcasting. I think the world needs more of that. I think that's a good thing. Um, I'm down here in Kentucky right now. I, I start my season down here, typically uh, early to mid-March. And, you know, I like starting early if I can. And I go all the way through about the the first to mid part of June. And I, I fish a full PNT schedule. So kind of the Eagle River Three Lakes Tournament is my cutoff for Kentucky. And then I used to go to Lake St. Clair. I did that for the last eight years. and and I've always been a vagabond and moved around, hobo kind of. And uh, this year, I'm actually going to be up at Lake of the Woods. I invested in a lodge up there at Lake of the Woods Lodge up in Canada. You can check them out, lakeofthewoodslodge.com. And I'll be spending three months up there, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it'll be just like living in Detroit in, in Lake St. Clair, except the gunfire um, won't be at me or it might be at actually a four-legged creature. And then uh, I'm going to be over and come back to Minnesota and my normal haunts there in the Detroit Lakes area and some of the Miltona stuff by Brad um, early October and stay there till about mid-November and, and do some late fall fishing and uh, and then come home. But, you know, other than that, we've got our Muskie Road Rules events that we do in the winter and we've got Muskie in our magazine that we publish and yeah, I think that's about it. But uh, I got some new stuff. I got some other things cooking, but I can't talk about them right now. So, yeah, I figure the three hours of sleep I get, I might as well do something during the time. <laughs> kind of know the feeling. So let's talk a little bit about fishing this spring. We know our our concept here is we've been doing a lot of talk of spring fishing, and you're so far, I think, maybe the only guest that's actually out fishing right now. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? How is fishing going? You know, it, it all depends on where you're at. You know, right now we're kind of in that. We're not the furthest southern range because we have Tennessee and Virginia uh, that have fishing going on now. So they had their spawn hit, I would say, maybe three weeks ago. 
based on current temperatures. Uh, typically, ours hits a little earlier than this. Our problem, though, is our weather's been super inconsistent. And we had water temps hitting close to 47, 48 degrees by the second week of March. And today I had water temps that were 49 to 52 because we've had such weird ups and downs and lows and, and stuff. So I think our fish are just starting to go into spawn. Now, our fish down here, like I think on, you know, most lakes, not all fish spawn at the same time. There's there's early spawners and there are kind of the traditional where the big flux of fish go in and do it. And then, and then there's the late, there's, there's our late bloomers that get in there. You know, right now, I think we're seeing the first push of fish doing it. The the fish that we've been catching have been on steeper banks leading into the bays, right on shore. The trolling bite has been pretty rough here lately. It was good, and it, it's kind of gotten, it's slowed down, which tells me the fish have pushed into shore tighter, and probably, you know, the ones that are in the back of the bays are probably not concerned about eating. Now, unlike, you know, the one thing in the spring is, you know, guys say, oh, always find the warmest water. I think when you're dealing with spawning fish, that's not necessarily the case. If you can still find that colder water, you might find some still pre-spawners that haven't decided to go up and do it yet. And then you find the warmest water you can find, you might actually find a post-spawner or two. So there's, there's a few ways to look at it right now. All right, so I want to jump back to the water temperature conversation in a minute, but let's talk about, you mentioned that you fish a full schedule of the PMTT. That's coming down to Cave Run in about two weeks, roughly. And Yep, it'll be um, April 30th and May 1st. What's the prognosis, do you think, for that? Or what, what are you going to speculate? Are these fish going to likely be still spawning during that time? Well, there'll be a few, but I think a majority will be done. I think we'll be looking at post-spawn. You know, in a typical year, I mean, I would say our average temp right now in a typical year is 58 to 60 degrees. So we're a good six, seven, eight degrees colder than that right now. I did find, but the thing is, is, you know, the, if the sun would ever pop out, you know, you could get, you could get, you know, yesterday it was sunny and I found water temps, you know, 57, 58 degrees. And today was cloudy, and I was fishing a different section of the lake, and I found 49 to 52. When you're, you know, Cave Run's a, you know, there's, it's 9,000 acres, 167 miles of shoreline. So you have different areas, different regions of the lake. It fishes, you know, there's, there's a lot of places to fish and several areas to fish. And so you're, you deal with a, you know, in, in a given day, I can probably show you a 10 degree swing in water temperature based upon where we're at. All right, well, let's get back to water temperature then. So we've asked a few of our guests recently as we've talked about spring fishing about water temperatures. Obviously, you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but how important is water temperature to your decisions on where and where not to fish in the spring? I don't know if it's a huge part. You know, it, you know, I, I look for, you know, I got certain areas that I like looking for um i know some areas that are warmer you know so based upon you know early march okay early march yeah i'm wanting to find some of the warmest water temperatures but i don't god i don't think it's the come all end all you know to me spawn is triggered one you know water temperature has something to do with it but i think lengths of daylight uh, moon phases i think that has a lot to do with it too you know, I don't think these fish are going to hold their eggs forever. And I think length of daylight has a lot to do with that as well. So in the spring, I'm mainly looking for shallow sand and gravel flats, basically areas that do warm up, but they don't have to be the warmest water. Let's say, but I want it to be the warmest water surrounding it. So say I'm in a bay and the whole bay is 40, mm, well, I'll fill a number out. 45 degrees well you know it's a sunny day it's a warm day the water's dirty so it's going to heat up so those shallow flats you know on the bank you know you and not necessarily shallow flats in the back of the cove because those may not be the ones to do it but the shallow flats leading into the cove or just the shallow gravel shoreline you know three feet offshore is going to be warmer than 
50 feet offshore, you know, because there's going to be some radiant heat come off there. And so as long as it's warmer than the surrounding area, I think that's the way I want to answer it. You know, as long as it's a little warmer. So say if the deeper water's 45 degrees, but when I get up on that flat, it's closer to shore and it's 47 degrees. That's what I'm looking for. Fair enough. So Brad usually follows up on whether or not he thinks that the calendar period actually has something to do with fish location. And Brad, I'm going to say based on his response with amount of daylight, he's going to probably say that calendar does have some effect on it. Menstrual yeah, cycles. That's what it has to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there definitely is something to say about the calendar, in my opinion. And I, I think Greg and I have talked about that in the past, but it's one of them deals. Like Greg just said, they have to drop their eggs. So, I mean, is it totally on water temperature? I don't think it is. No, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a total water temperature thing because if you talk to guys, you know, talk to guys on Lake Webster, okay, or talk to guys in, in areas where they can actually see fish spawning. We can't hear. Our water is dirty in the spring, and everybody always thinks their water is dirty, but actually in the summer you can see 12 feet on Cape Run. You know, in March, you can see 12 inches. Um, that's just the way it is because of water temperature and de- water density and you know, all that crap. But the thing is that, you know, the guys on Lake Webster tell me that they see fish moving into the creeks and spawning at 48 degrees, 47 degrees. But it's during that calendar period. And I also think the full moon has something to do with it, too. I think like that, that first major full moon after you kind of see those fish move up is when they do a lot of spawning. I don't know. That's just something I've noticed over the years of doing it down here. That's always been a kind of a trigger for, you know, you know if you catch some, you know, catching fish, you notice bigger fish showing up then the bigger females that are just dropping their eggs. Um, that's just something we see down here. So one of the differences, I guess, that we've had with some of the other guests, Greg, I mean, for the most part, the other guests that we've talked to are from the Midwest and Spencer, I know we talked to him not too long ago too, but we talked a lot about spawning and for the most part, we don't ever fish pre-spawn fish. So that's one difference, I guess, that you differ from some of the other guests that we've had on. Um, well, I mean, pre, pre-spawn to me is, is our chance to catch your the, the northern lake the northern fishermen's november fish right they're going to weigh the most they're going to be at their heaviest and that's going to be our shot at catching our heaviest and biggest fish of the spring i mean is there going to be a you know i mean hell the, the state record in west virginia was caught three weeks ago um that by luke king that 55 and a six eight what i don't know the metric system was caught and it weighed 51 pounds. You know, that fish, you know, that's our November, if that makes sense. That's when our fish here are going to weigh the most and when we've got access to those fish, when those fish come shallow because we have spring spawning bait fish versus fall spawning bait fish that you got in your northern lakes, right? So that's the time for these fish to come up, and that's when you get a shot at them. In March, I got a 49 and a 50-inch fish, and fish I probably wouldn't have had a shot at until later in the year, but yet they were, you know, but I get a shot at them now and they're the heaviest they're going to be throughout their, you know, the whole year life cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that, Greg. I mean, are you approaching those pre-spawn fish similar to what you would do after the spawn? My little bit of experience with it, it it kind of blows your mind. They can be super, super aggressive. And uh, I'm just kind of curious what you see. Uh, no, they're very aggressive. Pre-spawn fish are very aggressive. I do, you know, it all depends on what you like to do. Personally, being in Kentucky, we can run unlimited rods trolling, and I do a lot of short line trolling uh, early in the season because I know I can, if those fish are up on those shallow flats, which if it would ever stop raining down here early in the season, we would um, have more shallow flats, but those fish will move up on the shallow flats, chasing bait. They'll be shad, move up there, and, and just fish move up there um, to begin with. And you'll catch a lot of small males, but eventually you'll, you know, you'll get some of the bigger females will start showing up there too. 
And, you know, one thing down here that, you know, uh, that a lot of people know about is we do a lot of the lipless crankbait, rattle bait fishing, you know, lunging uh, lures with the rattle bait. Um, we do a ton of that. And that is, uh, to me, is a, is a great uh, tactic early in the season. And it's not slow. I mean, the rattle bait for the south in the spring is the bucktail for the north. You know, it's just something easy to fish. You cast it out, you reel it in, and fish bite it. That makes it uh, that makes it nice for early in the season. Now we deal with a lot of high water. Our water fluctuation is something that most people never have to deal with because they make good decisions in life. You know, this year we've already fluctuated sixteen feet. You know, we're right now finally we're th- we're two feet low, and I started the season on March tenth, fourteen feet high. But if you can find those shallow flats and small baits and even some glide baits, those will work. Twitch baits, jerk baits, you get those fish to bite. Can you explain to me, Greg? I mean, it's it's amazing. All the different people that I know that do the pre-spawn fishing, it seems like so many of them talk about, man, we try the rattle baits and we just don't see them working. Why is it that Kentucky seems like that bite is just so good? Well, I mean, it's not only Kentucky. I mean, Illinois... Southern Illinois does really, really good. I think it's more of you have to have the dirty water. I think dirty water means a lot to it. I think, you know, ultra clear water, it's probably not as successful. And the other thing, I think people give up on it too easy. I think it's one of those things that if you're going to do it, you got to do it, you know, give it a, you know, give it all day, you know, because it doesn't work all day. I mean, it's a, it's a pattern that, you know, let's face it, when the fish move up in the early spring, you know, your best bites are typically from noon till dark. And, you know, I love early spring. I can start my trips at uh, 9 a.m. because I like to drink too much. And it just makes it better for the day. You know, that later day bite is what you have to do. And I think people start off in the morning and they're all gung-ho that, hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to throw rattle We're going to do it. And about 11 o'clock, they're like, I am not throwing this thing no more. This thing's stupid. And, you know, it's kind of a, an afternoon deal. And I think in really clear water, I think it's something that may be, maybe not as productive. But what I would love to do in some of that really clear water stuff, Jesus, some of these swim baits that guys are making now, I mean, some of those savage swim baits, I love those things. And I would think guys in clear water uh, situations, that would be something definitely super cool that they could use. And even... You know, and, and even in the clear water stuff, sight fishing with jigs, stuff like that. But the rattlebait stuff, we deal with a lot of dirty water, and I think that has a lot to do with it, just like Lake Kincaid over in Illinois. You know, I know Chase over in West Virginia doesn't do it. He said he doesn't have much luck with it. But again, I think it's just sticking with it and trying it and just finding the areas where it's successful versus other areas that may not be. I mean, because there's areas here where I, I catch them on them and I, there's areas that I don't. It's just finding those areas where it's going to be successful. Makes sense. Uh, let's switch gears here a little bit, Greg, and, and let's talk about trolling versus casting. I mean, so the let's talk after the spawn, right? So that the majority of the, the listeners can hear about that. But you're probably noted as one of the better trollers that's out there. And I know you've taught me a ton about trolling. Which way are you going to go and why? Left. I always go left. That's a good uh, call. When I when I troll. <laughs> Is that because you run uh, a tiller? <clears throat> exactly. It's because I sleep. Because I fall asleep. <laughs> that's that's what I do. All right. Post spawn trolling. You know, there's a few things you can do there. One, if if people are gonna, you know, there, there's the open water component, and that's always that sticky variable there that that always. Um, you always got to check it out down here. It, it still drives me crazy because I can't get on a great open water bite. I have over the years, but it's never been consistent. I love it when I can um, because it's a, it's a very fun bite. It's uh, there can be a lot of fish in it. You've always got the shot of something really big grab and hold when the fish first come off spawn. And you can still find them shallow. The one thing that I do here is I downsize a lot. I run a lot of small bait 
not super fast, typically low threes uh, when I'm trolling. Small baits, meaning four-inch stuff. Minnow baits are always good. Or small grandmas, Rapala, stuff like that. And that seems to work um, as these fish are, are coming off spawn. You know, your, your open water fish there, you can, you can use bigger stuff because I think it's, you know, it's a bigger, a bigger target is always better. Um, the one thing I will say uh, when it comes to trolling, I would encourage everyone that does it to start running some wire line. I really like running single strand monel wire. I always run two of them as down rods and, and at the end of the year it's almost always the case that the the monel catches probably half the fish trolling. Well, it's definitely something that I I started putting together last year, Greg, and I unfortunately did not use it only because I I got the rod put together. I got the reel, got the line, but I never put it all together as a package. But definitely something I'm going to do this year. Can you tell us why that? Why you feel that that's such a, a great triggering effect? I mean, the Monel is, um, I've been doing it now three years hard. And the Monel, I mean, there's a vibration that comes off that line. It makes a noise, it hums, it talks to you. And I think that has a lot to do with it also. You know, the thing about wireline is that it was always known to uh, to get depth and to get to add added depth to the bait, but a lot of people don't talk about the vibration. And there's something about that wire, especially if you start cooking along at four miles an hour, that it just, you know, it makes a buzz, it makes a hum, and uh, it, it's it, it's nice. And, you know, it's, it's a line that, that you can get, I mean, like I said, 40 pound Monel. And, and the only other thing about it is if you're going to get into wire line, one, don't, don't, don't go out and buy an expensive rod. You don't need a, a high price rod for it. Wire destroys everything. So something with a, you know, fiberglass, something with a bend to it, that's going to, you know, um, allow some stretch and, and some give and it gets you a twilly tip. You know, you can get them. They're not expensive at all. I think John Betty at uh, Stealth Tackle, he sells them. Um, I think he sells everything, and he sells the Monel wire, and he sells the the Twillies. Um, but it's just a spring tip at the end of your rod. You don't want to get a kink in the line. It's the only time wire is ever going to break is if you get a kink in it, and then never take the clicker off because wires a wires just horrible. It just wants to make your life miserable. So never take your clicker off. And, you know, if you ever want to see a slinky explode, that's what wire looks like on your reel if you ever take the clicker off. Yeah, that's uh, good good knowledge to have right there, Greg. The audio side of that might be a big factor with that whole catching, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it talks to you. I mean, it vibrates and it makes a hum. And I've just seen it too many times where I'll have six rods out and the wire will go off twice as much as any other rod. You know, the wire, there's something about it that I think, uh, you know, brings the fish in. I, I can't, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's all the audio, but I, I think it has a lot to do with it. So when are you going to choose to cast over trolling on those post-spawn fish? I think it's going to come down to, you know, just how the fish react. I mean, I think post-spawn fish, a lot of times, like a stop-and-go bait. I don't think, you know, straight-line bait straight retrieve baits work as well on post-spawn fish. I mean, I think that's when your, your jerk baits, whether it be a, a up a dive rise bait versus a glide bait. To me, the dive rise baits work better. Glide baits, you know, and, and especially in clear water, uh, your dive rise baits or your, you know, getting into your soft plastics there, whether it be a dog, Medusa, tube, uh, toad, whatever you want to, whatever you choose to throw, as long as it's a stop and go, um, I think that's a trigger. Um, twitch baits, you know, that can be good. Those pauses, you know, there's a bite down here that a friend of mine, Jason Jackson, got on with raptors uh, made out of east. And a, a raptor, pretty quick bait. It's just a, a triangle-shaped banana, if you uh, if you can think of that, that is neutrally buoyant. And 
you know, just, just pulling it down there and letting it set and giving it like, you know, four or five second pauses and just letting it set in front of them. I just think those post-spawn fish, they're just ornery. You got to really coax them in and, and stop and go baits to me are, are probably the, the best way to go after those fish. So I think there's a question here, Greg, that we've asked some of the other guests. The crazy thing is, is that like up here in my country and, and you've been a part of that many, many times, but we seem to have like a crazy weekend for the opener. Opening pressure is probably one of the, the busiest weekends, right? Everybody's a musky fisherman the first or two, uh, first two days, right? Well, they haven't now, been disappointed yet. right exactly (laughs) but one of the things that i can say is that probably one of the most pressured lakes i think i've ever seen is cave run how do you deal with pressure greg i don't worry about it i just know that there's a lot of fish out there and you know and i I, i've went behind people so many times and caught fish that i just i don't let pressure bother me just because you're throwing a bucktail and the guy in front of you is throwing a bucktail doesn't mean you're working it the same way maybe it's uh, maybe it's a color thing that day i think there's small triggers that kind of break down and and bring fish in you know whether your bait's contacting weed or whether it's a color deal um i one thing i think really is important when it comes to fishing uh, something i've really paid attention to over the last 10 years is, is zones you know are the fish relating to the top zone, the middle zone, or the bottom zone? And and that, to me, has made a huge difference in my fishing. And that is, uh, where are the fish relating? Are the fish high, high, medium, or low? And I think if you kind of approach it like that, I think that really, really helps. And then what column of water is your bait occupying? So let's say you're slow-rolling bucktails and you're raising fish slow rolling bucktails well that tells me that those fish are in that zone but yet they don't want a straight retrieve or they may not want that that type of bucktail maybe that type of blade or that type of vibration so why not try a you know a a piece of soft plastic you know that that can still hit that same zone but yet be a little bit different retrieve to catch those fish so i think understanding zones and lures that occupy those zones and getting your lures to occupy those various zones is a big deal when it comes to to putting fish in the boat. Yeah, I I think what the just is, what you're talking about, Greg, too, is I think the difference between a successful angler and one that struggles is purely on the small things that make the big difference, right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about. You know, it, it always amazes me when you start talking to different musky anglers the ones that are like paying attention to every small detail are always the ones that are catching. Yeah. You know, and it, it means a lot to, to look at everything that's happening and, and stuff. And then let's face it. I mean, there's just times when it's just getting a fish to bite. It's just, you know, you come in at the end of the day and you haven't seen a fish. And then you talk to a guy, you know, mid November, the water temperature's 42 degrees. And how'd you do? <laughs> did great i got a 53 on a hog wobbler oh well that's good good for you because it's just you know you get frustrated by the by the little oddities like that but at the same time you got to kind of pay attention to, to different things too absolutely what is some things that you do greg pre-season so like seasonal prep that you would do before you start getting out there on the water uh, the main thing is to kind of go through the tackle box and I'm guilty that I'm guilty of it right now. I'm really good at like, okay, I'm just going to bring these baits and this is what's going to happen. And then I go into the shed in the morning and I find, I look on the one, I'm like, oh my God, that would be a great bait today. And I grab it and I put it in the box, but I don't put anything back. So like right now, my, uh, my tackle boxes and my boat are just, you know, jam packed. So I think one of the things to do preseason that's always good is to just kind of lay out, figure out what you want to use, kind of go into it with a game plan of, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is what we're going to start out with. This is what should be working. Kind of get a game plan of baits. 
Another thing I do is I try to, you know, I like weights. I like weighting, weighting baits and stuff like that. Kind of getting an idea of how I'm going to weight different baits and trying them, get an idea of what I want them to do. And then two, you know, let's face it, just kind of make sure the, the boat's set up and ready, you know. I mean, make sure you've got everything that you need, your tackle boxes, your your equipment, your your nets, your stuff like that. Just make sure everything is all good to go. And make sure your graph is updated so you're not being frustrated with it. I think all the minor stuff can mean a lot. You know, you've been on the water, Greg, and I'm kind of curious. We've asked some of the other guests kind of a forecast based off of what the the spring is looking like, right? Can you relate some of your stuff that you're doing down in Kentucky to what it's going to be like when you get to that next destination? I think it's going to be late unless we get some kind of crazy heat wave to come in. I think everything is going to be a little late this year. You know, I think that's kind of what we're seeing every year right now is you, you see a later thing. Now, last year, you guys had that crazy heat move in the first during opener, right? Yeah, it was it was insane last year for us up here. We had an early ice out. We had tons of weed growth. And yeah, I, I mean, walleye opener, if you think about that, it's usually Mother's Day uh, weekend here in Minnesota. We were literally in shorts and a t-shirt. I mean, it was that extreme and that warm. And I think that kind of hurt us going into June. The first Saturday of June is our musky season. The open water bite, it was tough. Uh, and I will say we did have some calendar dates that are always seems to be really good. Um, that last week or so in June, there's always a big push to the open water. That bite was pretty decent. But earlier in June, man, it, w- it was just tough. And it seemed like it was like it was already over. You know what I mean? Um, we had that early, early warm up. So this year, it's not going to be that early warm up. I can tell you that just based off of what our ice looks like right now. So mm-hmm. who knows? It could turn 70 degrees tomorrow and change everything overnight. But uh, it sure doesn't look that way with the extended forecast. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's the way it's going to be. I think we're going to be a little late this year. I think our stuff is going to be pushed back just because of the stupid um you know these ups and down temperatures that we have it just seems like the the winter is holding on i mean we had a nice little warm-up there in march i thought oh well here we go it's going to be good but then like i said we're dealing with this this cool snap right now and fish kind of being in that persnickety mode and and just kind of you can see them moving through right now has been our uh, has been our thing. So I think it's going to be a little bit later. I think um, you're going to see fish holding on to the to the bays a little bit more, and then finally moving out. Which I think it might actually be good for you up there. Um, I think it might keep that open water bite a, uh, last a little longer if they hold in the bays and then they just finally when they do move out they just you know they move out. Yeah, I won't argue that at all. I'm uh, pretty excited about how things have kind of went. You know, everybody wants to see some warm temps and start enjoying the real spring. But, you know, we've had a taste of it. But, man, here was, what was it, two, three weeks ago, we had like that major cold front. And I think it kind of hit the whole country. And I know that uh, you were probably dealing with that. I know Chase Gibson was as well. It seemed like everybody was struggling there for a bit. So, I don't know. I'm hoping we don't have any more of those, although there is insight that it could possibly happen by the end of this week again. Who knows? Gross. We're supposed to get cool first of next week, highs in the 50s, lows. One day is supposed to be right around like 48, but we're supposed to be in the 70s for the next few days, which is nice, which we should already be there. That should help. We need stability right now. We've had no stability. You know, we've just had nothing but up and down temperatures and you know i don't know that there's a fish biting every second of every day just gotta catch it that's the frustrating part but i sure like it when there's a lot biting versus a few (laughs) i totally understand that greg you're one of the first people that always told me that you know you might have came off the water with a really tough day and you're like guess what somebody was catching when we weren't you know and 
it's mm-hmm. always stuck with me. And if you think about it, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, meet up with a bunch of guys in the parking lot at the landing and you're going to be disappointed a lot of times. Oh yeah. Somebody's going to get on them and, but you can't get frustrated. You just got to take the information and go, Oh, all right. And that's, we need to start looking at and try to decipher and break it down and, and figure out what they were doing versus what you were doing. And, and then, you know, and, and then there is such thing as flukes too. I mean, there's such thing as the, the fluke fish, but there's a reason why the fish, the reason they hit the bait might've been a fluke, but there was a reason why the fish was there. That's the, the little, the little game you got to figure out. So that's also why they make alcohol. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, why don't you step in here for a minute? Well, you know, getting back to what you guys were talking about, like tournament results, that's one thing I love about tournaments is tournament results don't lie. Right. So even if you're fishing the tournament and you're not on the catching end of things, you know, like you talked about, Greg, you can kind of get in there and, and kind of look at what they did versus what you did. Most of the times the word will kind of spread as far as like where they saw the winning teams catch fish. So you kind of know, okay, well that obviously is where the fish were. I should have probably checked that. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where those tournament results, they don't lie. Sure. No. And I've, that's why I've always been a big proponent and a big uh, push for tournaments. I just, if you want to, and I encourage everybody out there to fish tournaments, I go, who cares? I mean, you know, you're probably going to get your butt beat. Hell, I get my butt beat all the time doing them, but you're going to learn. It's, it's the, by far the fastest and most effective way to learn a body of water. Yeah. I can't disagree with you. And you know, I mean, you know it. you're going to meet a bunch of cool people along the way too. It's been, that's one thing I've always said about any of these tournaments you fish musky fishing wise i've never fished anything else but there's you you kind of have like a fraternity of guys and it's a pretty cool deal to be a part of sure no i mean you're going to meet a lot of guys there's going to be a lot of you know you're going to make some new friends and probably get to you know fish and fish bodies of water that you had never fished before and and depending on how you like them maybe never fish again but you know i've got introduced to some great patterns and some great processes that have helped me catch fish in other areas and, and kind of see how things are done in certain areas, and, um, certain lakes, certain regions, and apply that to other regions. And it, it just helped. And it, it kind of just, you know, gives you another little feather in your cap to, uh, to lean back on, you know, and, and presentations, you know, I mean, you know, confidence is the number one reason for presentation and, and you know, you're going to stick with something if you've had success with it or, you know, and, and tournaments force you to, to do some things that you might not always do. And, and those aren't a bad thing. One of the things, Greg, that's always boggled my mind with you is you might be 1200 Shoe miles away from me. 13. What's that? Shoe what, size what 13. <laughs> yeah, right. That That's what's boggled me all these years. <laughs> Um, no you you might be like 1200 miles away from me and you're wondering exactly what i'm doing and how i'm catching how does that help you i'm just curious how it helps you when you're that far away on a whole different pattern a whole different type of body of water what does that actually give you when i when i tell you exactly what i'm doing it makes me feel loved that is one. It gives. It makes me feel love. Um, well, that's important too. <laughs> it is. It is. No, it kind of lets me know if things are running on course. It kind of, you know, it, it to me it makes me feel like okay. So if he's getting fish doing this, that means those fish are probably in this stage. So the fish are kind of doing what they should be doing. Then okay, so maybe my fish or you know if I'm having a a tougher day and not getting things to go. I'm like, well, let's stick with it a little bit longer. Maybe, you know, we should be running on course. And, you know, I, I just want to make, you know, to me, it's just about things running on course. You know, there's, there's seasonal times and seasonal patterns that traditionally work. And then, you know, sometimes if I hear from somebody and I, and I say, Hey, how's it going over there? You know, like I text chase just because I like to, to give him, it makes me laugh. And I like to send him random odd pictures. You know, I, I wanted to know, okay, so I'm struggling here. You're over in West Virginia. You're five hours away from me. 
where are your fish along? Because I have a feeling your fish should be about a week behind my fish. And if, if he's struggling, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes so then, you know, what we're doing here isn't so far off because it's just a cycle. You know, the fish, you know, I think there's a yearly cycle that the whole country goes through. And we're, if everything's running on course, I think we're, uh, you know, it's just, it just means to stick with it and, and it'll uh, eventually work out. If, if someone gets on kind of an oddity pattern, it's like, okay, was that pattern always there? And we just learned it, which I think is a lot. You know, that happens. You know, there's always that pattern that comes about that you don't know that, you know, somebody stumbles onto. I've been a part of a few of those in my career. And, or is that just something, okay, this year, something weird's going on up there. Should I look for something weird going on here? That's my whole thing. There's no question about it, Greg. You're a detail man. And I, the one thing that has always just totally blown my mind is if you watch the PMTT or you watch any Kentucky muskie angler, you guys seem to have a niche. And, and what I'm talking about there is the success. When you look at the PMTT board, there's a lot of Kentucky anglers that do very, very well throughout the whole Midwest, throughout the country, actually. Can you give me an idea of why that is? You know, Cave Run has, it's so big and it's got so many patterns that take place there. And there's so many areas that the fish are using or can use in a given, in a given season that you kind of get used to fishing a bunch of different stuff. You also, uh, down here, you get used to um, not covering a ton of water. You know, you don't kind of get stuck into covering a ton of water. You kind of like, all right, I know fish are here. We're just going to keep working it till we get them. And I think that in a tournament can help because I think in tournaments, sometimes you can get caught in, I'm just going to run and gun fish a ton of different spots. That's great, but I think you're, you're missing a lot of fish. And in tournaments, I think, you know, the one bite, I'd rather fish an area all day for one or two bites than run around the lake and maybe miss the bite in every spot. That makes sense. It does make sense, Greg. But the the one part that doesn't make sense to me is what gives it away for you. What makes you say that there's fish there, and what makes you wait? I them think off? it's. I think it's you know pre fishing, you know doing the three or four you know uh, a few days of pre fishing. I think it's the bait, and I think it's just having confidence because down here, it's just now in the last couple of days have we been able to see a follow. Have we been able to see a fish actually follow our lure? Because our water our water clarity is clear enough. You know, we can see now a couple of feet, which you know that wasn't possible until probably about a week ago. You know, down here you pretty much gotta know or or, or you know just rely a lot on and just confidence that there's fish there because you just don't see follows because the water's so dirty early in the season. And I think that translates a lot through the tournaments too. You just really feel that there's fish there and you just got to, you know, figure out how to get them to bite. And I know for a lot of people, not seeing follows is hard to, you know, that's, that's something hard to take. But for me, if, if everything looks right and everything, you know, if the, the way it's setting up, if there's bait and, and stuff and just having confidence in the area, to me, is a big, a big part of it. The last piece to that then is when do you bail? You have that confidence in a particular spot. When do you actually bail, Greg? That's the hardest part, you know, because I've, I've caught myself um, over the years not bailing on a spot and, and it turned, you know, and, and I should have. So I think it just becomes, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where you just got to have experience i think experience has a lot in it you know and just you know have that i think you got to have that backup plan in the back of your mind to just say you know screw it i'm going to go try something different if nothing worked i'd give it typically i give the first day i mean i've i've lived and died on the first day many a time on a spot and then caught a fish on the second day because it was just something that was completely different than what I was doing. And just saying, Hey, you know, what have we got to lose? I mean, that's three lakes last year, me and Lance, we casted 
you know, all day on the, on the Eagle River chain last year on Saturday, we didn't even see a fish. And then Sunday, we were like, well, we, I mean, we literally have nothing to lose. We raised a couple fish on three lakes earlier in the week. So we went out there and just worked some of the spots and then got to notice in a lot of bait just off the break and started trolling and ended up catching the biggest fish that day in the tournament, a 44-inch fish and, and losing another one. So I, I think it comes to, you know, have a, have a plan for that first day and see how that, you know, how you feel about it. I mean, if you, if you feel confidence in it, you move to fish or two or maybe hook something up. And if nothing happened, I'm always, I'm a big, on Sunday, you know, it's time to fish or cut bait. You gotta, you gotta move or try that one thing in the back of your mind that's completely different. And I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? You not catch a fish. There's going to be about 80 more angler, 80 more teams just like you. I think you got to have that backup plan too. Yeah, it makes total sense. Dirty, dirty water. I mean, it's pretty much something that you deal with all the time. Cast or troll? Oh, if you're dirty water, you got to troll it. I do not like casting in mud, 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 mud being stuff you can only see about six inches down. I know some people disagree with me. But to me, mud is trolling because I think consistent bait at a consistent depth at a consistent speed is going to outproduce a bait that's casted and only in the water for, you know, 75 feet at a varying depth and at a varying speed because no matter how fast you reel, there's a good chance that bait is not going to be going the same speed the whole retrieve. Plus, the depth is going to change based upon dive curve of the bait. So got to troll at constant depth constant speed is a constant depth makes good sense that's for sure i know jeff jeff fished the pmtt did you do a couple seasons jeff or uh just one i fished one where i fished the entire trail and then i fished i don't know how many seasons after that where we did at least eagle river and then something else so it would it would always depend we'd usually skip that trip down the cave not that i didn't like it because the one time i was there i caught a muskie but it's kind of a long trip for me, and so I, I've never, I haven't been back, but I definitely should be. I mean, it's always great to get out and musky fish in April when it's, you know, like this year, most things in the northern Wisconsin area are still froze. I mean, I saw reports of twenty five inches of ice yet, as of yesterday. So I mean, that's not great for, you know, early part or mid mid April already. You know, we're in the same boat up here. I mean, you could drive your full size truck out on the ice right now. So. It's, it's pretty wild. And the cave, cave Run is an awesome, awesome place to go early, that's for sure. And I've done it a few times with Greg, and and uh, it's it's really amazing fishing on the right days, that's for sure. And, I, you know, the other thing that's so crazy to me, I think the first time I was down there, Greg, I don't know, it was probably 20 years ago, I seen this access, and I'm like, wow, that's like 100, 150 yards of concrete down to the water and i'm like greg what's the deal here and he's like well our water fluctuates 30 40 feet you know and and i went oh man i never thought of that but what a remarkable freaking place I, I, that's all i can say it uh it's hard to believe on that reservoir like that you are dealing with that type of water intake and it, it's based upon the rain i mean when it rains it's all based upon spring rain everybody always asks me they go well when's it gonna flood i don't know when's it gonna rain because there's no you can't predict it it just happens i honestly think greg that's a a huge point to why kentucky anglers are really really strong i mean you guys deal with every different thing that you could ever imagine in fishing you guys see it you you deal with it all the time and one, uh, one thing that I was going to bring up too, Greg, and, and I know I've brought it up on the podcast before, Jason Summers, which I know you know very well, he's, mm -hmm. he was very, very successful in the PMTT. And one of the things that he told me was, well, Brad, you know, you, you set the stone, right? You, you go, okay, this is where we're going to fish on day one. Just like you said, you're going to go through with your game plan and you're going to stick it out, right? One of the things mm -hmm. that he told me a long time ago was I get so sick of fishing the same exact spot. And he goes, sometimes I'll just start the big motor. I'll drive away a couple, three, 400 yards and I'll turn right back around and I'll approach that spot all over again. 
and it's kind of like a complete reset. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that because the way, I mean, I think, you know, mental attitude has something to do with it. You know, if you're, you know, because if you pull into a spot and someone's been fishing it for three hours, you're going to approach that spot way differently than that guy that's been there for three hours because it's new to you. And I think the way you attack a spot is also important as far as, you know, casting angle. And then again, the zones that you're attacking where they're, you know, you go through it once with a bucktail, okay. Or, or a bait that is, is running in the top zone. And if you're fishing weeds, you're like, okay, so are the fish, you know, on the edge, are they in the weeds or are they on the inside edge? So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to look at there. I mean, I've had tournaments, you know, that we've won that guys fishing the edge didn't catch a fish. We slid up in the upper on the inside of it and, and that's where the fish were. And then I've also had my butt handed to me in, in tournaments where I stayed on the edge because that's where we caught them pre-fishing, but hell, it rained the night before. Water temperature dropped a degree. Those fish slid way up shallow there, but we didn't, you know, we were too stubborn to move there. There was a tournament in Chautauqua Lake over in New York that me and Groucho fished. We had two 42 inches by 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. We're high-fiving. There was a big wind come in, muddied our water. Uh, Rick Rosar, rocker, he was fishing 300 yards behind us, just outside of the mud line in a different set of weeds. They end up getting third place with five fish because he just got into that little clear water. It's paying attention to those little things that mean a whole lot. And, you know, when you're pre-fishing, that's something you got to kind of think about. And one thing I always do pre-fishing is I always look at Saturday and Sunday's wind forecast and I look at the weather forecast because that can mean a ton because say you're fishing and it is 80 degrees and it's hot, whatever. But all of a sudden it looks like you're going to get a front move in on Friday. That's going to cool things down. So that tells me is that if, if you if I move fish on the edges, I need to make sure I got spots that the inside edges are good too. That, you know, or, or I want to check out some inside edges because those fish are going to move up with that front traditionally after a, you know, a cold front like that after, you know, a, a sustained heat wave. Also wind, let's say you're fishing all week and it's been a, you know, say you've got a West wind at like, you know, four to 10 miles an hour or whatever, but all of a sudden on Friday night, it's supposed to switch and you're going to have a rager out of the East at 25. Well, you got to make sure you pre-fish spots that you're going to be able to fish with a 25 mile an hour east wind. You know, you can't, you know, you can't go pre-base your fishing on the wind that you're dealing with that day. You have to, in tournaments, you know, base your pre-fishing on what you're going to deal with the days of the tournament. I think what I'm hearing, Greg, I mean, the bottom line to this whole conversation is that tournaments drink White Claw. that tournaments can like get rid of the complacency that a lot of anglers have in the boat. Right. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. think about you're driven now because your, your money's on the line or you want to get into that top five spot. So you, you're really digging a little bit deeper than you normally would on a normal weekend of just fishing. Sure. I mean, and you just got to pay attention to the little things, you know, see what's going on, try to make sure you know what's going on for the weekend of the tournament, know what kind of weather you're going to be dealing with, pre-fish based on that weather, and then just kind of know what's leading up. And, And if you find an area with fish, you know, say you raise a couple fish in the area, don't be afraid to, to set on them, maybe not throw the bait that you you know you've seen them on but you know say okay there's fish in this area i don't think these fish have left so all right what tactics can i use to catch these fish in this area and is there relatable structure near here that they could possibly have moved to that's kind of the way i look at it 
all the pieces to the puzzle. And I think the more pieces and the more thought you give to those pieces, the better you figure it out and the quicker you figure it out. Sure. No, there's just all kinds of things to, to look at and, and play with. And, and at the end of the day, let's all remember it's fishing. You know, there is no right or wrong answer here. There's just decisions that work and don't work sometimes. There's probably nobody out there that beats themselves up as bad as you do. When you feel that you've struggled, and, and maybe you caught five or seven fish, but I caught two fish and they were bigger than the five or seven that you caught, I know you and you're going to beat the crap out of yourself. Well, you're a jerk. That's why. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's about being a jerk. I think you no, literally. You said the, it's because when you had a bite, you pushed your butt and you let them swallow the bait. That's why I like to do it. <laughs> no, all I can say, Greg, is you're one of the hardest working individuals I've ever met in my entire life. And just for that reason alone, uh, I totally appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate it. No, it's fun. Hopefully the, the fish down here kind of gets uh, back in groove. I, I think we're kind of in glide bait, twitch bait mode right now. It's one of those deals where we're running a lot and trying to figure out where some fish are moving in and out of it. You know, it's just that time of year you have you have those good stretches and you have those uh, those bad stretches. So we'll see where she ends up. Like I said, we got some nice fish early in the year and too many fish are moving up in the bays and there's gonna be a big old stupid one with her with her belly in the sand here uh, pretty soon. How many years have you been doing this now? This is my 27th. My uh, 27th year started this year. I started when I was 16. I'm 43. That is seven, right? Yes. 27th. You know you have to be doing something right if you're 27 years into the industry. I mean, this is what you do every single day, and it doesn't just happen you know, by accident. No, I've been doing it a long time. I take pride in it, try to get guys into getting their biggest, you know, or biggest or most, or just catching a fish. I mean, getting their biggest is always the best, but, uh, you know, the guiding game is something different. I mean, it's not, guiding is not, you know, necessarily tournament fishing. Tournament fishing is my vacation. That's what I love to do. And, you know, guiding is different because you're dealing with, you know, a multitude of different skill levels and guys that can, some guys can do, can do stuff and some guys can't through physical limitation or just, you know, just they may not be able to work a glide bait or say you're on the best glide bait bite in the world. But if you got someone that just has having trouble with it then you got to find, you know, figure out a way for that person to catch fish doing something different. So that's what I love about it. Just trying to figure out a way to get guys fish. Well, I can honestly say you are probably the best at finding a fish for somebody that I would have never, ever could ever catch one. So that, that, uh, that goes a long ways, Greg, right there. Oh, sometimes I'm surprised. Trust me. So Greg, I just got one more question before we let you get out of here. Cause I know it's getting late and you got plenty to do, but what do you think the biggest mistake is the muskie angler makes for early season muskies? Oh, I think they get wrapped up in the, you know, oh, we got to go small. Oh, we got to go big. There's days where I catch them, you know, again, we do the uh, super small bass baits. And then there's days we get them on 10 inch jerk baits. Early season, I think bait size is a big, uh, a big thing. And, and then I would think, but you're like that. I mean, when you're dealing with pre-spawn fish, I think not necessarily, or pre-spawn, spawn fish, you know, finding the warmest water temperature might be good early, but it may not be the best thing to do later in the, you know, as, as things get moving on, because you might be dealing with spawning. Finding the coldest water might be the thing to do, because those fish are not uh, as far along in their process. So, bait size and, and that, I think, are two things to not get too excited about. So, Greg, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on our podcast. 
before we get out of here, if somebody wants to get in touch with you again, what are the best ways to go about doing that? Any urinal on I-65 between Indianapolis and Chicago, I have my number on every urinal stall in that entire stretch of highway. I've heard that about you. <laughs> exactly. That's the best. It was the original Facebook. That is, uh, that is my... No, they can get a hold of me. You can call me, 606-776-6570. Call or text to that number. Or you can go to battlethebeast.com. Check me out there. Or check us out in Muskie Hunter Magazine. All those areas there, you can find us. And uh, love to uh, take anybody fishing. I still got some dates available this year. I've always got a little bit of time. So um, give me a holler. Awesome. Well, once again, Greg, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Come on, talk musky fishing with us. And we want to thank our listeners for putting up with us for another podcast. And we'll catch you again with another episode tomorrow. (laughs) 